Hello and welcome to the Island Stories podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Hadfield. Three years ago, I came home to the island and started a new life, which really got me thinking. Each and every one of us living here has an island story. Last season, we spoke to some wonderful guests, each with an extraordinary story to tell. So let me introduce this week's guest, Anthony Goddard of Goddard's Brewery, now at its brand new base in Ariton, brewing beers with delightful names such as Scrum Diggity and Fuggle De Dum. An islander with an incredible story, a hugely successful island business and, quote, a remarkable ability to dust himself off and start again. So I think this could be a lively episode. Anthony, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. You're welcome. You don't know, you don't know what's coming yet. Yeah, I think I've got some idea. The first question we always ask on the podcast, very simply, why the island? short version is that my wife and I were looking for a vineyard site. We saw a picture in Country Life of a what looked like a pleasant house on a sunny slope with a duck on a pond. Turned out to be Barton Manor with a lake with a black swan on it. And um, age 29, put it in offer at less than half the asking price, which was accepted. Talk about being cheeky. Um, and the rest was history, as it were, for a bit. So how long ago was that? How long have you been on the island? That was 1976, which was that hot summer, um, way, way before you were even a twinkle in your father's eye. So what does life look like now for you on the island? Who do you live with? Where do you live? So I live with the same wife who's put up with me for 52 years, which is remarkable in itself. And we live just behind Tesco's uh, at Ride. Which, which makes it sound not that glamorous, but it's actually a lovely no, it's, spot it's where it's you a live. lovely spot because it's, it's close to Ride's. Uh, Tesco's is our corner shop, and yet it's in, in uh, proper countryside. You live there with your wife of 52 years. Who else is in your family? Who's in and out of your home? And two daughters, both living on the island, which is nice. One works in Parliament and the other one works for Owen MacArthur, uh, her, her foundation. Nice to have them around. Yeah, that's brilliant, isn't it? I recently moved back and so did my sister at the same time. So my parents have two daughters living on the island now yeah. as well. It's quite nice to have their support, I should think. Yeah, well, we're bloody useful for babysitting and <laughs> the inevitable jobs like, and dog sitting, of course. Yeah, that's, I think my parents would say that's pretty familiar. Um, what else do you enjoy about life on the island, beyond, obviously, work, which we're going to talk about more? Well, I think it's summed up by the fact that um, having got a dose of, of Lloyd's insurance market losses, which forced us to sell up where we were, we'd been there for 16 years by then, but there was no question of looking anywhere else other than on the island for a new home. We had to downsize big time and um yeah found found Barnsley farm where we are now and thought it was ideal certainly we have no intention of being carried out in the proverbial wooden box by any other any other from any other place than, <laughs> than where we are so we're recording i have to say not the most glamorous bit of the building we're sort of to try and find somewhere that was good for sound we've ended up in the in the video studio but we are recording in this incredible new building you've just opened to the public um you just opened to the public last month just give us an idea of this new home of goddard's which of course is a brand most islanders will be familiar with 
because of planning regulations, we weren't allowed to have visitors to Barnsley Farm where we started the brewery and had the opportunity to move here about four years ago. Couldn't resist the offer, as it were. The, the local enterprise partnership put forward most of the funds for it, and we're just tenants of the council. We couldn't afford to put a place like this up on our own. So it's an enormous building, big barn, very like modern but in keeping. It certainly stands out as you drive down the road. And this is quite a change, isn't it? As you said, inviting people to come in and experience it. When people visit the brewery now, what kind of an experience are they going to have? Well, they get a, a welcome video, which is pure propaganda to try and get them in the mood. <laughs> we have self-service info screens, which people can look at various topics to do with brewing. And then upstairs on the first floor is the firkin deck. Everything is firkin here. Uh, firkin being a, a casks for, for, for taking beer. But, of course, you when you're childish, you can't, you can't resist <laughs> calling everything a firkin loo and a firkin menu. And, and the firkin deck is the, is the restaurant here. You've got a new way of bringing people, islanders particularly, in. They become members. How does that work? Yes, uh, goodness knows whether it's a good idea or not. It's a bit very early days yet. But the the idea is that you, unlike most tourist attractions where you pay to go in, and that's the last you see of that tourist attraction, we want to try and get people hooked, as it were, uh, especially locals and especially in the winter when, when times is hard on the island, um, and, and the membership scheme struck us as one way of, of doing this. If you come and see us again uh, within the first year, that automatically renews your membership uh, with no further payment. So if you come and visit us often enough, you can come here whenever you like, as often as you like, and hopefully we'll empty your wallet for you. <laughs> so how much is the initial payment? £12.50. And you get um, you get a, a, a flight of three third of a pint tastings of beer, whichever beer you want, a souvenir pint goblet inscribed with Goddard's Brewery member, and a guide leaflet, twenty page A4 size leaflet. I have to say that sounds incredibly good value to me. I mean, considering what the cost of a pint is well, we, these we, days. We um, we were very aware from the vineyard days that, that people like to get something in return for. Paying up, normally if you go into a tourist attraction, you get charged admission charge and then have to pay for a guide lift and anything else that you that you may need is extra. Well, at least we've doing our best to make you feel uh, welcome here. So how's it been so far since you opened? It's been relatively quiet, but then we've not spent any money, deliberately not spent any money on, on uh, trying to create demand to come here because we want to bed the thing in the, the worst thing you can do on the island is to is to fail because everybody loves it when you do <laughs> it it soon gets round uh, there's another one who's that you see them come you see them go is the sort of attitude i don't think anyone could say that about you i think no, i think well, you've been here long enough on the island we're we're, <laughs> we're up to that one so we're, we're um, letting the thing in gently with a with a view to making sure that there are no mistakes and and things that we could improve on and i think it's pretty good i mean we've got fabulous people working here yeah i've just met one of your staff who seemed absolutely brilliant and that is quite difficult isn't it on the island sometimes staffing a place 
Yes, uh, you say that, but I, I, I always think the people on the island are, are pretty good. Uh, you, you're, you're unlucky to find a bad one. So you've gone from nine staff to 30 staff by moving yes. sites. Yes. How many of those new staff are local people? Oh, they're all local. Um, 30 sounds a lot, but we did at one point have 64 employees. We had two pubs as well. We weren't smart enough to, to put tenants in the pubs. We tried to run them ourselves, which was a big mistake because it's jolly difficult to keep track of what's going on in a in a pub if you're the manager and you're and you're not on the site, as it were. I've noticed when you drive in the driveway, there are giant QR codes, which is not something I've ever seen on the island before. In fact, I don't know if I've seen it anywhere. What's the idea behind that? And it is quite a digital experience yeah. here, isn't it? Well, I've always been a bit of a techie. QR codes are an obvious way of, of giving people the lowdown on what they're going to see. So they arrive here, theoretically, knowing exactly what the offer is. You arrive, you drive down the driveway, you get the QR code up on your phone through your camera, just in did, case anyone you? listening. No, I was running late, <laughs> as always. <laughs> but uh, but I, I might have done, though, otherwise. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So you point your camera at the QR code, you follow through to the web link. What kind of information do you get as well, you do it, that? It, it, it tries to explain the, the membership com- concept, what you get in return what there is to see here, our opening hours, you know, the usual stuff that you'd want to know before you uh, commit yourself to going to a new place. Brilliant. So just tell us some numbers. How many units, pints, do you brew here? How many do you sell? Where do you sell them to? We, we brew a pint every 37 seconds, I think, is our, is our record rate of consumption. We sell mostly on the island, but we do do contract brewing for other people and we bottle our beers as well. We get um, occasional, uh, as we have with Weatherspoons for so- several years now, we get one-off um, offers from them and they go nationally. Luckily, there are, there's a firm that produces casks that you can rent oh, that's because if we had to do it in our own casks, we would, that would be a big no-no. Never get them back. Exactly, you'd never get them back, and they're sort of 70, 80 quid each. But when that happened, which was about 20 years ago, it mm. transformed the lives of small brewers like us. How many pubs on the island Do we have Goddards? And, and clubs as well, presumably. Uh, it fluctuates. There are, that not everybody has it on all the time. There's got to be 30, 40, 50 pubs and, and licensed premises that take our beer. I mean, I certainly grew up, you know, ordering my friends an ale of white. I never drank ale, but certainly all my friends used to drink ale of white and the pumps in the old Fort pub in Seaview yeah. have, have always had it, I think. Yeah. I would think that ale of white, for a start, is, is my favourite of, of the beers that we produce. And the old Fort's a jolly nice place to go and drink it. So it really is, So give them it? a plug. Um, how many different kinds of beer do you have? We've got, um, I think, four or it is now that are permanently year-round, and we do seasonal beers. They all have incredible names. Who comes up with the names? Um, not no one person. They've, they've, they've sort of evolved uh, over time. Um, Fuggledy Dum was, was um, dreamt up by a drayman, um, and that was about the second beer that we ever produced. 
Um, so that would have been nearly 30 years ago now. I am going to make a disclaimer, which is that we are recording um, at the brewery and they are just opening. So if there's lots of background noise, we apologise for that. But we're just going to we're just going to plough on through, aren't we? Because it's uh, it's busy here, which is good news, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, Ale of White, such a great name. Who came up with that one? Uh, that was Brian Marriott. Um, I'm sure you know Brian. Yeah, Kay he, Marriott's he, husband. She's just been high sheriff. That's right, yeah. yeah. That's exactly who it was. And uh, he used to look after our publicity. I think that we are his second oldest client ever. So go back a long way with the Marriott's. Which just makes me think how long you've been brewing beer on the island, which is... 30, 30, 30 years, years yeah. yeah. But how much has brewing as an industry changed in that time? Um, quite a bit, really. We've already touched on the on the fact that you can now lease casks and, and uh, it gives us the opportunity to export more from here. We were, I suppose, one of the pioneers of, of, of the, the craft brewing revolution that happened. There weren't very many of them when we started. Uh, and in that time, of course, the amount of competition that's been created is, you know, you really have mm. got to go these days to, to keep up, just to stand still, if it, in effect. But it's a tough one to, to, make, to make money. It is. You, 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 you really, like all these things, you have to ask yourself where you're going to sell the product at the end of the day. And, and it was true of, of wine as well as, as, as beer. You either got to have your own outlets, your own pub or whatever, or you've got to have a, a, a damn good product that, that stands on its own feet. You said that you'd had funding help to build this building. Where did that come from? Why, why were you able to get access to that kind of money? Well, we didn't get the funding. It was the, we're, we're tenants of the Isle of Wight Council, and uh, it was the council that got the funding from, from the Local Enterprise Partnership and they erected the building. So it was just a commercial transaction. We are just the tenant here. Uh, we've got a 50-year lease. How much control did you have of the building? Luckily, quite a lot. The theme behind the, the building is essentially ours, and uh, it was, it was, you can see that it's not a typical uh, industrial unit. It's been put up by somebody who's, who's trying to find a tenant on spec. Uh, this is very much bespoke for us. So in twenty, in fifty years' time, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the, at the end of the lease. Well, at least you know the future of it is very secure for you now. Let's go back to life before living here. You have the most incredible backstory, which goes right back to when you were, when you were conceived. Well, yeah, I, I, I do think it's a remarkable story. My father was was in in the army during the war. He trained as a ski commando in Norway, and he um, his first posting inevitably was was North Africa, where they don't get much snow. And he was acting commanding officer of C Company, First Battalion of the Buffs, who were detailed off to go and capture a a hill, Hill Six O Two, I think it was called, and. He made sure that the it was a, a dawn attack. He made sure the sun was rising behind him, that the wind luckily was blowing in the same direction, so into the eyes of the um, three hundred odd Germans and Italians dug in on the hilltop, and made such a a, a show of, of fixing bayonets that with his men he charged up the hill, and um, they surrendered. Whoopee! 
Um, he got the military cross, one down from a VC for his efforts. But a, a week later, Rommel counterattacked and captured him. As the war diary puts it, when the tanks were within three yards of, of, of where their positions were, they didn't ret retreat or anything like that. But when the tanks were that close, the outcome was inevitable mm. and they finished up surrendering. He, he finished up in a prisoner war camp in Italy. Come the Italian armistice in 1943, he elected to escape and spent the next 20 months hiding with my mother. How did, how did he find her? <laughs> well, a, a stroke of extreme luck because um, my mother's family lived on a, on a, on a ridge on, in, in the spa town of Salsa Maggiore. The next door neighbour was the local fascist leader, so had they knocked on his door and not wow. my parents, they, they would have been, well, he would have been finished up back in prison war camp. But as it is, it's, it's my mother that was the brave person of the two because if she had been caught, um, she would have been tortured, family shot. So eventually things got really, really hot. The, the Germans were making sure they rounded up the resistance in Italy as much as they could. My parents got married in a civil ceremony in February '45. I was conceived shortly after, was born in Caterham, rather prosaically, in Surrey. So that's quite a journey to go from Italy to Surrey in that time. Did, yeah, for, did, you can imagine from my mother, it was a hell, of a, to hell say, of a shock. Yeah, for your mother, that's a, that's a real change. And that's where you grew up. You grew up in Dunsfold in Surrey. What kind of a childhood was that? I should think quite an interesting one. It was. Well, my father was involved with an engineering, engineering company. My father and my grandfather, they were all petrol heads, so am I. And I had a lovely childhood. Yeah, so so long ago, I can hardly remember it, but I do remember it was good. But then you really sadly lost your dad when you were 21. Big, big shock. And, and uh, I recommend it to, to people of the, in their early 20s as a way of, of not being um, mollycoddled, having to stand on your own feet, which I, uh, came as a rude shock to me. What an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, the death well, of your dad, which yes. obviously is traumatic, but actually changed your life. It did, and I went off and got qualified as an accountant as a result because I suddenly realised that um, the buck was going to stop with me yeah. <laughs> and uh, makes a big difference. So what happened next? You did a few different jobs before coming to the island. Well, I was involved with a, with a family engineering firm, so I didn't exactly rise to the top by my merit. But we got involved with another company, most unpleasant to have... Uh, to be a minority shareholder in a in a in quite a big operation, we had six hundred employees, and politics in the boardroom were were knifey in the extreme, which is um, really what prompted us to go off and grow grapes. So you bought Barton Manor for a cheeky offer. Very cheeky offer. It's che a beautiful house. Just in case people listening don't know where Barton Manor is, it's. East Cows, near Osborne House. That's, it's connected to Osborne House, it, isn't it? It was the home farm to Osborne. Talk about cheeky offer. I'm not giving a bit, not being indiscreet, but we paid 90000 for it, which wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't buy you an outside dunny nowadays. No, absolutely. Um, and we, we had to borrow 15000 from the vendor interest-free for 10 years, which is also pretty, pretty cheeky. Yeah. So perhaps a little 
a bit of advice is to have a go. If you if you've got an idea like that, don't shrink from from um, the cheeky offer. A cheeky offer because you never know. And I mean, you you did astoundingly well with Barton with the vineyard. You were a leading tourist attraction on the island, which is obviously what you're looking yeah. to recreate here. Uh, you supplied Buckingham Palace. Yeah. The Royal Yacht Britannia, Harrods. Yeah. You won yeah. English Wine of the Year. Yeah. It was a roaring success. Given that we had a lot of debt, it did all right. And we would have been, I think we would have been uh, good for life there, really. We talk about these shocks that you can have in life that, that yeah. change things and reset. You said, I rather stupidly joined Lloyd's of London. I mean, for my generation, we grew up knowing about Lloyd's. And I'd hear my parents say, oh, they had a yes. bad time in Lloyd's or they were involved in Lloyd's and you knew instinctively somehow that that was not a good thing. <laughs> that was in my childhood. That's an but understatement. For, but for people listening who are younger than me who might not know what happened with Lloyd's, just explain how, how did someone like you get involved in it and what happened as a result? Well, the beauty of Lloyd's is that you can use your existing assets to uh, increase your income by depositing the deeds effectively of your property or whatever, uh, it enables you to underwrite business in the Lloyd's market. And our motive for doing it was to pay school fees, which was a big mistake, really. Lloyd's gets its business mostly from North America, and it was asbestosis and pollution claims in, in, North, in North America that really triggered the crash. That Lloyd's happened. was insurance, essentially. Insurance, yeah, not to do with the bank. No. The losses were absolutely catastrophic. There were definitely people who knew that, 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 that um, it was a bad thing to do at the time. It, it was my fault to, for joining. Nobody forced me to do it. And I should have taken more care. In, in uh, Shouldn't have been quite so dazzled by the prospect of being a Lloyd's name. When Lloyd's started to go wrong, was that something that you sort of knew was coming and snowballed slowly? Or was there a sort of, you, you woke up one morning and the whole thing had crashed? No, it, it snowballed slowly in, in that um, you were told, oh, well, there's a bit of bother. Um, could you cough up 100,000, please? Wow. And uh, this went on for eight years or so. Um, and did you have that feeling that you get in the sort of pit of your stomach that something's... Um, yes, I mean, eventually when, when the penny dropped that it was it was going to be more than you could cope with. So there's two ways of taking it. You can either feel sorry for yourself or kick on and yeah. and try and recover. It's actually much easier to kick on. I had something a few years ago where my life changed suddenly and I wasn't expecting it and someone very wise said to me you've got two choices you yeah, either yeah. sit around be a victim or you dust yourself yeah, off and yeah. you you get on with it so I find you very inspirational in the fact that you've done that and well, when you're, you're probably practically alone <laughs> no no well actually no because the people who recommended that interview you for the podcast said exactly that that you mm. are inspirational in the way that you have been able to pick yourself up and start again. So if we go back to that moment where you started again, that's when you moved to Barnsley Farm, and that's where Goddard's came from. So yeah. if that hadn't happened, Goddard's, this no. wonderful brewery on the island, wouldn't exist. No, it wouldn't. But I have to thank my family because I, I did have a lot of financial support from, from them. So you moved to Barnsley Farm. I've read that it was a fire-gutted ruin with no windows, and you lived 
in a caravan on site. So this is quite a change from Barton Manor to a caravan. I've read that you said you realised you were unemployable, so you started a brewery. (laughs) Would you employ me? (laughs) Absolutely. Look what you've created. Yeah, but... But difficult after Lloyd's, I can see that. Difficult is the word that springs to mind. You started the brewery. It opened in 1993. Where did the idea come from to have a brewery? Uh, Because I like booze. (laughs) And, and, and contrary to my own advice, where you the first thing you should start doing is to is to find out where your market's going to be. Absolutely, the first thing. If you haven't got a market, don't bother to start. But I still thought that um, you know I like the booze trade. People <laughs> in the booze trade tend to be quite good fun. You know, brewery seemed like a good idea at the time. And of course, it's not done much good for my figure. But there we go. I was going to ask you. I mean, how much? beer do you drink have you ever had to kick you know to no, kick back on the drink here i always wonder with people who work in it i have a, a pint of beer at lunchtime and a glass of wine a big glass a bit in the evening and i've had that for 50 years and um don't get colds or don't get ill i should go off with a big bang eventually the thing about beer is is that it, it's partly artistic i'm not at all artistic but it is there is an artistry to it where getting your ingredients sorted starting with a with an idea of what you're trying to create and then and trying to get there there's more to it than just lighting the burner and and standing back is there anything about the island that means you can brew a particularly unique beer well we use 100 percent island grown barley not that, that necessarily would, would make a difference to to the what the beer tastes like, but it's actually part of trying to put back into the economy. You know, why why support somebody up in Yorkshire or wherever when you could support farmers on the island? Could you tell your beer from another beer? No. <laughs> <laughs> ours, ours is... Um, blind tastings are, are wonderful. I used to be on tasting panels for... A, in the wine days um, I used to be judged for the International Wine and Spirits Competition and it's astonishing what, what uh, being blindfolded or not knowing what the contents is of the particular beverage you're tasting so if you don't know what colour it is you, you can surprise yourself I'm not sophisticated enough as a taster to be able to pick up things like that So we're here in this wonderful new building what do you think the future of Goddard's and brewing on the island looks like? Oh, fantastically rosy. I, I believe in the company and I think the people we've got are super. Uh, yeah, it would be nice to think so, yes. Finally, on the episode, we ask all of our guests a quick fire round of five things about the island. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> Number Is one. Are there any prizes for this? <laughs> Number one, your favourite place to grab a bite to eat. Oh, well, I think it, we've already touched on this. I think the old fort in Seaview is simple, proper pub, nice food, nothing elaborate. And they always seem to be kind enough to have our beer on, have a white on there. And um, that's the place that immediately springs to mind. But there are lots of other places that have it, of course. Well, Will and Justin, who own it, will be absolutely delighted. I'm pretty yes. sure I had my first pint in the old fort. Of course, one of my favourites, just around the corner from where I live. Number two, your favourite beach. If I take my kit off on a beach, children a quarter of a mile away start screaming and there's 
<laughs> seagulls fall out of the sky and so on, so I don't I avoid beaches. OK, what have you had your clothes on? Oh, well, I suppose the easiest one is, is, is Seaview and along the Dover and places like that. Seaview Dover. Because it's, cause I could walk there. Number three, your number one island activity. I, I enjoy walking and have always had dogs in the past. I'm told I'm not allowed to say that as a... <laughs> As a pastime. So to explain, we always give the guests forewarning of the five questions um, and we banned walking the dog as an answer because too many people had given it. Number four, which island charity is closest to your heart? Uh, it's got to be the High Sheriff's Trust. I was uh, among the people who were instrumental in setting it up, so a bit of bias there. And every year the High Sheriff chooses where that money's Well, they, they've got a pretty sensible system that the High Sheriff... Uh, two, two up from coming into office is our trustees, the current high sheriff is a trustee, and the two uh, that have just retired. So you've got, you've got five people who are trustees, two incoming high sheriffs, the current one, and two who have left office. OK, number five, your hidden gem, so somewhere specific off the beaten track. Call Osborne House a hidden gem, could you? But it is a gem. The beach, again, that, that is now open to the public, but it used not to be. Because we live next door, we got to know um, Osborne pretty well. Um, the house governor there was a, was a friend. Anthony, thank you. It's been amazing to get to know you better and hear your island story. If you want more island news, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, 5-stories.co.uk. I'm Harriet Hadfield. My producer is Alex Warren. You'll find us on Instagram at Island Stories Podcast. This season, we are fortnightly, so we'll have another episode for you in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye.